Welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Tina Muir. Hello, this is Tina Muir, and I would like to welcome you to another edition of the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. Firstly, I would like to thank you for your feedback over the past few months about this podcast. I am continuing to gain confidence, and I hope it keeps getting better every week. If you do have a suggestion, I would love to hear from you, which you can do so through any of the podcast pages. For t- today, for example, it is runnersconnect.net forward slash rc53, and it will have all the links and resources from today, in addition to how you can contact me with any questions you may have. Have you ever met someone whose excitement and passion is so infectious but you cannot help but be in awe? How about someone who you struggle to even wrap your head around their incredible accomplishments? We all know those storytellers who have so many great stories to share. You could just sit there for hours listening to them tell you about their adventures. My guest today is Doug Curtis. Doug is the world record holder for the most career sub-220 marathons at 76. He is the winner of 40 marathons including Detroit six times, Grandma's two times, Bangkok three times and many more all over the world. He is a five-time Olympic trials qualifier. He was inducted into the Roadrunners Club of America Hall of Fame in 1998. He's run a total of 205 marathons of which 200 were under three hours. His best marathon time was 213.34 and he ran a 215.47 at age 42 to win the Boston Marathon Masters. He is the director of many Michigan races, including the Thanksgiving Turkey Trot and Corktown. He used to write for the Detroit Free Press and currently writes for Run Michigan and Michigan Runner. And finally, Doug is a motivational speaker, course designer and coach. Some of the topics Doug and I are going to discuss today include why running in a group or with training partners is more important than most people realise, how Doug's first marathon involved running into a drugstore, having his blisters popped and jumping back into the race. This is a story you do not want to miss. Doug's secret to how he was able to train for his 200 sub three hour marathons. Advice on how to run your first marathon and why you should consider your hometown marathon for your debut. And how to overcome nervousness on race day. So that's enough from me. Let's meet Doug. So welcome to the Run to the Top podcast, Doug. Thank you. I was glad to, glad you wanted to interview me. <laughs> oh, of course we did. And uh, especially as I spent some time in Michigan, this is, you are a, definitely a legend within the running world. So very excited. Um, it feels weird sometimes that somebody refers to me as a legend. but <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I, I guess, yeah, maybe that comes across as uh, kind of morbid, but I didn't, I didn't mean uh, it that way. I meant just, yeah, no, you're no. very well known in Michigan. <laughs> I, I know. So um, I talked about I know being a uh, being a little bit famous is flattering, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't want it want to be real famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you can see me right now. And and about once a week, people stop me, and they think I look like Michael Douglas. <laughs> really? I get it once a week. Yeah, wow, it's weird. That's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. I'm not sure if that is a good thing or a bad thing, but. <laughs> It's kind of fun in the moment, but like I, if I was the real Michael Douglas, I, I especially today with oh, yeah. cell phones yeah. and everything else, if they want to stop and take your picture, I, 
they can have that life. Oh <laughs> yeah, no, I, I wouldn't want that even if I was given it on a plate. <laughs> so uh, we'll uh, take your uh, your celebrity status as it is, and uh, the occasional <laughs> Michael Douglas referral. <laughs> so um, I talked about your uh, almost endless accomplishments in the intro, but uh, who is Doug Curtis? What can you tell us about your running history, other than being an incredible athlete and race director, and just like I said, legend within the running world? Well, I kind of think it's a, it's a combination of a number of things, which uh, I know you were going to ask me who one of my heroes is, and so that'll come up. But um, but I do th- see myself as a runner. Fortunately, I see myself not necessarily as an elite runner, and, and obviously I was at one time, but I was fortunate to be part of a good running club that where I didn't have to be part of an elite group, you know, that it wasn't just about running fast times, it was about having fun mm-hmm. and, and enjoying the whole camaraderie of all runners, not just elite runners. You know, and then I've been because I'm so well connected to the, all the running community here in Detroit. I I kind of got a lucky break in, became a full time race director, and and that's really been fun for me. And then I was a writer too. Actually, I wrote a weekly column for the Detroit Free Press for seven years, and I missed that. I missed that. I really enjoyed writing too. So so those three things have been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. Was the was the writing was that about uh, running related things or was it all sports? Yeah. So or- was it, so it was a weekly running column. It was a kind of thing where, so I used to direct the free press marathon and they would, they would call me for interviews once a week for about eight weeks out, you know, to get people ready. And then I went into the sports uh, editor and I said, you know, people start training in January, not September, October. You should be writing about, have your writers write about this all year long. And they, he looked at me and said, well, why don't you do it? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. You know, thank God I did a lot of reading when I was a kid. And, you know, I have good, fairly good grammar structure. And I like the editing part of it the best, actually. Yeah. But I just put it down and get it out. And I thought I could come up with original material for maybe about three months and found that, no, I could keep writing. <laughs> I oh, wrote yeah. for some. And my favorite column to write was the Greeny column. What is that? And so I I stole the idea from Las Vegas Marathon, and and he was the racer was flattered that I took his idea. But they have for first time marathoners, they have they give them green numbers. So in Detroit, we started that too. So all first timers get a green number, and everybody notices. Oh, you're a first timer because you're wearing the green number. And so I would do this interview a few weeks out before the marathon, and I would interview all these first time marathoners and why they wanted to run their first marathon. And I, that was my favorite column. I loved hearing their stories. They all had unique stories of why they decided to run their first marathon. And I'm guessing at that point, you'd even already run quite a few marathons yourself. You weren't, you know, most people, you know, run under 50, but you probably were over 100 by then yourself, I take it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that must have been quite, a, a, quite like, good for them to talk to you, knowing that, you know, you had all this experience and they were getting to... Uh, interact with someone who was at the opposite end of the spectrum who knew exactly what they were doing but they were inspiring stories Mm -hmm. and especially I would sometimes if I had lucky enough to have the time to stand at the finish line and put medals on around people's necks um I'd start I I cry at movies I really would start crying (laughs) you would see people when they'd finish their first marathon they were in tears and they just couldn't believe they'd do it and they'd make me cry too I'd like oh god I can't keep doing this you know <laughs> yeah that sounds amazing and and it is something special isn't it to complete your first marathon I only wish I remember mine I, d- I don't remember crossing the finish line but uh yeah it, I, I know it is a very special moment so that's that's wonderful really um, you remember your first one 
No, I was uh, not in a good state. I think uh, another 800 meters, I would have been crawling. So if that tells you anything. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I don't remember it, but I do remember the second. So we'll stick with that one. That's my first. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead to one of your questions. Yeah, sure. Go for uh, it. So my first marathon was Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this was back in 74. And back then... You know, you were still supposed to qualify, but only they only had about 1,500 runners, maybe 2,000, somewhere in there. And my friends at Michigan State said, oh, just fake a time. They'll, they'll never know whether you qualify <laughs> or not. <laughs> and they knew I was talented enough anyway. So um, so I did. I just faked a time and got in. And and so, you know, the poor college student didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't have the greatest pair of shoes. And I thought, all right, I'll put a thicker pair of socks on to give me more cushioning, oh, right? My. And 10 miles into Boston, which is mostly downhill, I got blisters really bad and both feet. And I had, I took my shoes off and I'm running in my socks and I got 16 miles to go, right? (laughs) And so you run through these little villages. I saw a drugstore and I ran into the drugstore and asked the druggist if he'd help me. He goes, yeah, yeah, lay down on the floor. And he bought my blisters, taped my feet up, (laughs) Dr. Shoal pads in my shoes. And I got back in the race. Wow. (laughs) That would never happen nowadays. (laughs) Wow. That is amazing. (laughs) Then I caught a friend with about three miles to go. We were running together, and, we were, and you know, I'm just trying to finish. That's all I cared about. And we could hear the screaming behind us, and we get to maybe about a mile to go, and the, and it's really loud. We look back; it's the first woman, Nina Kusek, and uh, and uh, anyway, or no, Mickey Gorman. I'm sorry, Mickey Gorman. So anyway, she's closing, she's closing, and closing. I'm thinking, well, she beats me, she beats me, right? Well, I end up finishing right in front of her at the finish line, and so my picture's in the paper the next day. <laughs> That was where your claim to fame started, huh? Yes, where my claim to fame started. Although I was on a stretcher for about two hours. I was so cramped up. Oh. I, I couldn't get off. I, I couldn't move. And it what time a, did you run? Just curious. So, and I hate to say this, <laughs> I still ran a 247. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that shows that shows something right there. That's great. Wow. <laughs> but I <laughs> guess... In the grand scheme so that of was things. Pretty, that was pretty memorable. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And that was probably my toughest marathon to run. Oh, really? Okay, so that was one of my other questions. That was the most difficult was your first one? I'd say my first one was my most difficult one. Really? After that, I really learned how to train better. And um, Although I did run one ultra marathon, and that was pretty tough. Mm-hmm. I ran comrades in Durban, South Africa. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've heard quite a few quite a lot about ultra running recently so i'm learning quite a bit about it myself so it's, it's well, a whole nother ball game <laughs> i'm one <and> done <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I'm not, I'm not surprised although I, it seems to I be more because popular. of all my running that i would i would easily fit into being an ultra runner but i'm really not i'm not gonna <laughs> run that far <laughs> gonna stick with the marathon so speaking of that what is it about marathons that just wins your heart over um, it's obviously, I mean, yeah, you could do a 5k, 10k every weekend and that's challenging, but I, it's obviously so much more challenging to run a marathon. So I think the challenge of it for one, um, makes it special. But for me, I was fortunate in that it was my ticket to travel, you know? Okay. So, so suddenly there was these opportunities that I never dreamed I was going to have, you know, and to go all over the world and compete and, 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 then to discover that I had this talent for running the sub 220s, you know, that that was another piece that, oh, you know, I really can be really good at something, you know, and I didn't know it early on, but it's kind of developed. And and so I found that that was my niche, that I was really good at running marathon. Yeah. And how old um, were you when you did the first one? 
So I was 22, okay. but I didn't take it seriously okay. until I was 27. Okay. So 19, 1980, I had somebody at work said, I think you've got the talent to qualify for Olympic trials. Wow. And, and I wasn't sure. I was running a whole bunch of 222, 223s, and not sure that you know I, I could break two. I didn't even think I could break 220. And they said, well, we're going to go pick the fastest course in the U.S. So we went down to Mardi Gras Marathon in New Orleans, which crossed Lake Pontchartrain. So 22 miles straight across the bridge. <laughs> And luckily that year there was a tailwind and probably the best conditions I've ever had in a marathon. And so I ran a 214. Wow. <laughs> even that's though wind, and even though I knew it was win aided, it gave me the confidence. Mm-hmm. After that, I was like, all right, now I'm confident. I'm still, you know, this was February. I'm still not in my peak form yet. And so to be able to do that, then then I realized, okay, yeah, I can break 220. And are you, would you say that a lot of people, once they kind of get the marathon, they enjoy that challenge around, you know, 21, 22, where everything is screaming at you? Do you, you enjoy that and embrace it? I guess um, you know. I, I, I don't really go through it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and I, I think it's part because of the way I train. Okay. And, and I run kind of within myself, so I'm really smart about how I run. Um, I've been lucky to, to really be patient and pay attention and, you know, and not try to do more than what I'm capable of doing. Okay, so, so I think you've I've never re- gone through it or just very few uh, times? A, a few times, but uh, uh, yeah. Time. I remember New York City Marathon once just kind of ran out of gas, but just hanging on, you know, and and just and again, competing with somebody and just like, OK, I th- he and I both are kind of going through the same thing at the same time. And <laughs> right, who's going to be And he ended up winning the Masters. I was second. Uh, Nick Rose uh, out of England, actually, a really good talent. Okay. So anyway, so, yeah, that was one of the few times where I felt pretty wasted at the finish line. Uh-huh. But most uh-huh. most I was pretty smart. 20, 21, 22. I mean, one tip I would throw out. So I always encourage people if they have the opportunity to, to run the last six miles or at least drive the last six miles to visualize that they're going to cross that finish line, um, that it makes a huge difference in being more relaxed and prepared. Um, but throw in one more. I have a million stories, okay? Oh, no, go for it. We'd love to hear that. So another story like New York City Marathon, I, I talk about being patient and relaxed. Um, um, they have all the, they have a site team that walks around the starting area. I think they still do. Anyway, um, they would walk around and ask people if they had if they had fears or they were nervous about things. And people have like bridge phobias, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what they would do is they would cro- they would cut up the finish line tape that the winner crossed the year before and cut it into little pieces and put a safety pin to it. And they would pin it to their singlet and they'd say, every time you start feeling fearful, touch that that ribbon and wow. visualize you're going to cross the finish line. And they said it would work, that it really worked for people. That is a great idea. I love that. Yeah. 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 Wow, and they 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 don't do that anymore. You don't know. Well, I haven't run New York in quite a while, so hmm. I, I I used to be friends with a lot of the staff, and uh, actually I'm no longer married to, but I actually married one of the staff, one of the psychologists. Actually, oh, jeez, oh, psych team. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> I'm sure she learned a lot about you and your um, vice versa. Yeah, psyche with the uh, marathon. Uh-huh. <laughs> so um speaking of uh like your training you said earlier that you are very uh, you think your training kind of helps you adjust with um the way that you run marathons what what is it that you do that you think helps the marathon or has it changed over the years or i i think the key and when i do talks to uh probably the the biggest thing i would say that makes a difference is i do a lot of double workouts 
Okay. Um, okay. And a lot of people want to get that 20 miler in or get these long runs in. And that's okay, especially if you're new to the sport to kind of feel that helps you feel confident to run that far. But, but I think it helps more to split them up. So to do 10 and 10 or 8 and 12 or wherever your schedule allows, but uh, to learn how to run tired. Uh, the Hansons here in Michigan, that's what they learn. That's how their athletes learn. Like, okay, we're coming back for that second workout, and yeah, you're tired, but you you push through it, and you. So then, when you're at 20 miles at a marathon, well, I'm used to. I, I you know that feeling. You know what it's like to run while you're still while you're tired. So that's made a huge difference. Um, the other is consistency. I, I had a routine for 15 years where I ran pretty much 14 miles a day. And when you're doing that, again, you're not going to go through that wall because you're so used to putting miles in. So I always tell people, put miles in. It's all an endurance event. Find any way you can, even if you can just squeeze in three miles here or three miles there somewhere else, you know, and add to whatever you're doing, I think you're going to be an advantage. But for most people, it's I think it's routine. You yeah. get in, you know, Tuesday you're going to do this, every Wednesday you're going to do that, and so on. That if you can develop a routine, and for most people, it takes about three months. Um, every spring, fall, I, you always see all the runners come out, and they'll last about two or three weeks, and then they disappear. But mm -hmm. but I always people push yourself through it. If you can get by three months, then it becomes part of your lifestyle, and and it's not easy to do. But but if you can do it, I think three months is usually the key to developing a routine. Yeah, and then what about supplemental activities? Do you do anything like that to keep yourself healthy, or are you pretty? Uh you're able to avoid injury pretty easily. Well, my wife says I'm a freak of nature. <laughs> <laughs> that I have a gift and I could probably run a hundred miles a week and not get injured. But, you know, but I, I would, I mean, now I'm just, I'm running for fun now. And mm -hmm. so I run 30, I still run 30, 35 miles. My we, my goal is to run five miles a day and that's enough to be healthy. You know, but at one time I was running over 90 miles a week, you know, doing two workouts a day. When I've co I coached three people made Olympic trials and, for them, usually just over 70 miles seem to kind of be their breaking point where they seem like they were running and their injury problems. So it's kind of finding that. I always say find, be consistent, but find that niche or where or what can I handle and stay with it. And if it's 40 miles a week and you know, okay, I can do 40 miles a week and not get injured, um, you know, long term rather than, you know, people do get injured and they come back too fast. And so I think of more long term. I'm telling this to my wife all the time. It's all about long term. So if you can stay healthy for six months, you're just going to be better off. So if you need to ba back off that one day or take a break here and there, you know, I think that helps you long term. Knowing your body, know what can what it can do in the moment. Mm -hmm. you know, so if you know you need to back off in that day and say, yeah, you're planning for a 15 mile that day, but your body's telling you no, can't do it, then you skip it. You know, you go on to another day. But but you think six months from now, not what's happening that week or that day. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And it can be a difficult lesson to learn, but it sounds like you've got it. And uh, I'm sure many yeah. of us are trying to work on it still, understanding that your body wants. It's hard. I mean, when you got a beautiful day and you yeah. want to get out there and your friends are there, it's hard to just give it up. But sometimes you just have to. You have to be smart about it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You, to, you have to listen to your body. What does my body tell me that I and, – and when you talk about age, yeah. So over time, yeah, what I – what I could do in my twenties, obviously I couldn't do in my sixties. <laughs> so you start to adjust you, every year or decade, you start to adjust. All right, what am I capable of doing? You know, and and yeah, my, my, I think my mind's young. Yeah, I think you know I still can. Well, even as a race director, I still think I can keep lifting all this heavy stuff. You know, <laughs> you know, I just did the St. Patrick's Parade race, and we had four truckloads full of stuff. And Turkey Trot on Thanksgiving Day, we have ten trucks, and I'm I don't want to just stand there and watch my crew do all the work, so yeah. I'm in there. 
dirty with them, but but I always end up hurting my back because I just can't, I can't do it. My mind says I can, but physically I just I can. So <laughs> I, I have to be really careful. <laughs> yeah, well, your body's accomplished a lot, so I think it it's it's coming where it can uh, enjoy a break. You can enjoy yeah. just standing there and getting others to do it. Is it done a lot for you? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I loved competing. I still, if I'm in a race and you know to compete wherever I am, you know whoever happens to be next to me, you know it's what's kind of fun. Now now is you know when you say being a legend or famous um and one little story so i'm running with the guy and i'm just kind of doing a hard workout and he's running with me and he knows who i am and and i said come on it's your chance to beat me and they get really excited about beating me <laughs> it's like well okay go for it you know so this one guy he beat i make i pushed him i pushed him and he beats me at the end and he comes back and he says my my wife missed the photograph can we reenact it <laughs> did you I did, yeah, I did. I, I didn't care. <laughs> that sounds like fun. That's a great attitude to have right there. <laughs> That's um, awesome. You know, I was I was fortunate to win forty marathons, but I was always second. I was second twenty times too. Oh wow! And and part of I guess why I brought up is you know how you meet a lot of people that they're never quite happy with what they did. You know, it's always like, oh, I could have done better. They always have some excuse or whatever. But I guess, I mean, I was fortunate. I was very consistent. But at the same time, I had the attitude, you know what? I did the best I could on the yeah. day. And if somebody beat me, I'd shake their hand like, wow, you ran a great race today. You know, yeah. there's nothing yeah. I could do to beat them. And that was kind of my attitude that I, I just, I wanted to cross the finish line and just feel like I did the best I could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty, I was pretty happy most of the time. Yeah. Well, I think it, that comes with experience, doesn't it? At first, it's within your first few years I don't know even decades maybe as a runner we tend to you know you want to you always think you can do better you've always got more but as you you know grow like you said you just want to cross that line knowing you gave it all you could for that day be it you know a good day or a bad day as long as you tried your hardest well as an example too I won the Austin Marathon one year and I really don't remember what the year I won I remember the year finished third And, and it was a race where there were three of us together at the 26 mile mark and wow. I and I got out kicked for third. I knew the two young guys would probably beat me <laughs> if we got. And I did everything right, everything I possibly could to shake him off and beat him and wear him down, so I wouldn't have to. It wouldn't be a sprint, but I couldn't. I couldn't do it. But it was a great, exciting race, and it was more exciting than the year I won. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Well, it's moments like that that really do stick in your mind, don't they? It's not, yeah. you know, when things are easy and you kind of win it easily, it's more likely to pass. Whereas, yeah, I'm sure that was very, uh, you know, coming that close to winning and then uh, being pulled away at the end. I'm sure that was tough. Um, and uh, so, let's. I mean, you talk too about you know just people that you know. I mean, that they go through a difficult or tough race, and sometimes you 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 remember that more the thing that you struggle that you had oh, to go yeah. through to do something so the setbacks always lead to greater accomplishments afterwards yeah. so it's yeah. good good to be reminded of that um and so for um boston marathon you won it won the masters championships at age 42 running a smoking 215 which i cannot even wrap my head around um so what advice would you give to masters runners who think, you know, the best is still behind them, but maybe they still have a lot left to give? Is there anything you would particularly say to them? Well, one, two, that race was probably the best race of my life. Mm-hmm. 
really. I look at all the races. I've run a few faster times, but that was really probably the best race I've ran. I really like Boston's course. So, you know, you kind of, you know, sometimes some courses suit you better than others. And that course just really suited me well. But, but I think, yeah, true as a master. Um, yeah, I think you still can run fast times. It's just a matter of how hard you want to work. You know, I, I don't think you necessarily lose all of that those physical abilities, even though you've hit your forties. So it's more of just r- being smart about how you do it. Um, you know, and, and finding training partners, you know, finding other people to, to help you along. Cause it, it, to be good at anything, I really don't think you can do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to find other people to, to push you, push you and, you know, and do, do it together. And it just makes it more fun too. Um, do you run but with I, people every day? No, no, okay. I, okay. I probably only run with people maybe once or twice a week. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so the rest of time I, I'm fanning out with my new dog. I now run with my dog at home, so <laughs> so he enjoys going out there. So that's kind of part of, especially in the winters here in Michigan. I think sometimes that's my incentive. There's days, oh, do I really want to go out in that? But the dog's just waiting to go out, oh, so oh. so that's kind of incentive to go out. Yeah, I guess that's good. They can't really, uh, you know, look at the weather channel and see what's going on. They <laughs> they just want to want to get out there no matter what. Um, yeah, no but but I run with a club called the Downtown Runners and Walkers, and okay, they're okay. in downtown Detroit, okay, and they're okay. kind of my key people to help me volunteer wise too when I put on races. And my club's so good at volunteering for a lot of a lot of races. Uh, just but but the great thing is we we've got a group of girls that are really fast, <laughs> and there was a time where the only way I could stay with them was would be to warm up first because <laughs> they would go out so fast that if I didn't warm up, I couldn't stay with them. And wow. And, and now I can't I can't stay with them. <laughs> they're too fast, unless they're having a bad day. <laughs> well, I guess you've achieved a lot, so um, it's maybe about time where you can let some of those people pass you by and uh, let it go. It's yeah, and I, and I can let it go. I'm fine yeah. with that. Yeah. I, just, I enjoy just being out there with them. And oh, yeah. We meet at a different pub or bar every, every uh-huh. Tuesday, so we get to run all different courses, so we okay. see a lot of them different sites of Detroit do a lot of runs on the riverfront. And so it's really, it's, it's fun to be down there. So do you, when you would go into a race, um, if you always, you know, you always enjoy running with people and having people to run with, do you always predetermine that beforehand? Do you, you know, often end up in a race and, uh, kind of, you know, see who's around you and say, Hey, let's run together. Or I, I just personally, I've never, never run with anyone even in a marathon. So I, I've, Never known how to find that, so I'm sure other people are curious. <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree with you. Sometimes I'm amazed when people they'll just meet somebody at the start and think, "Oh, we'll match up and run together." Like, really? You didn't even train together. And you're going to run together I, over 26 miles? I think that's almost impossible. Yeah, you know, that you're going to run the same pace the whole way because I what I call bad patches, where you have just spots where you just don't feel good. And I always tell people it's kind of like my wife term to perfect is like turbulence on a plane that mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have that sinking feeling like oh and it goes away you know same with bad patches you'll have that maybe a mile maybe two miles and you kind of feel bad but if you visualize it hey it's just a bad patch i'm going to get through it most of the time you do you know and you just got to look at it that way that no my race isn't over because i'm not feeling good that i'll just re- find a way to recover most of the time your body will find a way to get through that that portion of it um but the last time i broke three hours i was lucky enough i was i have a expo booth for one of my races at the free press marathon and um and met a former training partner and we were talking about hey what are you going to run i said well i'm just trying to break three hours and and he said well we may end up running together and it turned out we did we mm-hmm. ended up running most up until the last four miles we were running the whole race together and i'm not sure i could have broken 
the three hours without him, you know, because he really pulled me along. Trying to do it by yourself is tough, but he and I were kind of going back and forth. We were talking to each other a little bit, but we were just working together that almost that whole race. In fact, uh, he only finished about a minute ahead of me and, and waited for me at the finish line. We hugged each other. We were just happy that, you know, we were able to accomplish our goal. So, yeah. So what, how do you, why do you think it's so important to have people to run with? Like, how do you think that makes a difference other than, like you said, making it fun, but is there anything uh, psychological that you think, you know, really helps with having people to run with? Oh, for sure. I, I can go out by myself and run, you know, eight, nine minute pace or whatever. And sometimes feel like I'm really working to run that pace where if I find somebody to run with, all of a sudden you're running seven minute pace and it feels easier than when you're running eight or nine. It just does. It just feels, and I'm, I'm sure it's all mental, but it does. Uh, to me, it definitely makes a difference. Mm -hmm. You want to run a quicker race. I'm always surprised if people want to go out for a 20 miler all by themselves. Like why, <laughs> you know, that's so hard. You know, if you could just find at least one other person, even when I used to do track workouts, a lot of times I'd be out there by myself, but even if there were just somebody walking on the track, that there were just some other human being there, it made a difference in how I ran. I guess I could see that. Yeah, definitely. So what advice would you give to people who, um, you know, maybe they've just taken up running or they're just, you know, moved somewhere different and uh, they haven't found anyone to run with? How would they, how would someone go and find someone to train with? Well, you can go online. I mean, most running clubs have a website, you know. So and join a club. Yeah, join. I would definitely find ways to join a club. I've been running on different clubs. I've probably run with every almost every club in the Detroit area over the last thirty years at some point. <laughs> um, you know, so I can find a club to run on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Saturday mornings. You know, there's always it's always out there. Just who I choose to run with, and it's you know, and I just well for one, I'm a social person anyway, so I enjoy meeting mm -hmm. people. So it just it just makes the whole thing a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. And um, how about? Uh, you talked earlier about new marathoners, how you would do the, the green, was it the green column for the them? Greenies. Um, yeah. what, what advice would you give to any uh, people who are considering their first marathon, like in the next few, the next year or so, what advice would you give with all your experience? Well, I mean, it's fun to travel if you're going to put that much work in to travel, but, uh, but there is something about running your hometown marathon that you can have your friends and family there. Yeah. I, I think I, I if, I, if I were to choose again my first marathon, I would choose some. I would choose my hometown marathon just because you could have friends and family to support you. Um, you know, they could be somebody out on the course if you need to change your shoes or you know, or something that's there available to you, or you need somebody to hand you water, those kind of things. And to be able to run parts of the course, I, I do think you know part of running well is being relaxed, feeling comfortable. And so if you know portions of the course, that's just going to make it easier for you. So I think that makes a big difference too. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and again, just doing the long runs, finding a club, finding people local, local area to run, you know, if you can find somebody, to, a, lot, a lot of times some races will, or marathons will have, um, opportunities beforehand to do training runs on their course. So then again, you have another opportunity to run with other people and run parts of the course. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and again, going back to just consistent training, being smart about how you train, get, getting those miles in whatever way you can. Good advice. Good advice. You know, and, and wearing clothing, wearing clothing too, the wear don't you know every you'll see they'll go to the expo oh blister free size or yeah. whatever you know like i say break in everything whatever you're gonna wear you know make sure you've run in, in a race or um in fact actually even races sometimes i'll suggest to people rather than if they feel nervous before a race um to kind of get through that is pick some races that are not going to be a real race um that they'd use the race as a training run 
so that they so they go there feeling relaxed. They learn how to feel relaxed in a race situation by picking some races that are not really a true race. Mm-hmm. You know, on race day, they feel a little bit more relaxed. I was telling this too. I think think about you know you're nervous before the start. We're we're all a little nervous, but once the gun goes off, are you nervous? Hardly anybody once that gun goes off remembers that they were nervous. You know, so I sometimes say, hey, visualize. All right, the gun's gone off, and you know you're running, and you're not as nervous as you were before the race. Yeah, definitely. And then you've said about um, some man- uh, mantras or you know phrases that you tell yourself to get through those bad patches. Could would you share some of those with us? Oh, sure. I, sometimes it just kind of happens in the moment, mm-hmm. but. Two of them are like, relax, 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 you know, and be patient, especially early on. You know, every so many people just, especially they just kind of get caught up in it. And they're, um, I call it, um, oh, what do I want to say? You know, people time, they want, they want to put money in the bank. You know, they think, oh, if I'm, if I'm 30 seconds or a minute faster, you know, it's going to, I'm going to be that much more ahead. We're like, no, you need, you need to put energy in the bank. You know, it's okay if you're 30 seconds or a minute slower early on because you'll make it up by not slowing up as much later on. Mm-hmm. So you were, use words like be patient, be patient, take your time. And I've had some hot weather marathons where I really had a tough time and, and, uh, I would just use words like get her done, get her done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where was your uh, most exotic marathon you did do then if you traveled so much? Oh, like the Bangkok marathon. So Bangkok. I want, and Bangkok five times, and mm-hmm. I won it three times. Second twice, and won it three times. And what was so special about that one? Why did you like that one so much? Um, maybe that's necessarily the race itself, but one year I was able, I got my award from a princess. Wow. <laughs> that was cool, you know, and there's a whole protocol when you meet a princess, so they had all these guards with swords, and we got a ran out of the swords, <laughs> and the other chance a trophy, and and they they say you can never turn your back on a princess, so you had to back away from her, you know, wow. as you get award so that was pretty special yeah and um did you how many countries do you know how many countries you went to title in uh all your various marathons we were 25 okay. somewhere, something like that did you ever do london uh yes i did okay. actually london was probably the most competitive marathon i ever ran ever really ever yeah i ran a 260 just over 216 and i was 44th <laughs> I go. I could win races with two sixty, and here I am forty fourth. That was that was pretty tough. Oh, I'm gonna throw one more mantra out at you too, and it's a, yep. it's a story that goes with it too. So sometimes when I do talks, I use the cowardly lion scene, you know, and how you know courage, yelling the word courage. So I'd go through the you know the the you know what makes a king out of a slave, and you know, and what makes the flag on the mast wave, and I'd get the audience to yell courage. And I'd say, okay, you're in the race. Use the word courage. So one year, grandma's after the race, I had these two young kids come up to me at the award ceremony. and said, Mr. Curtis, we have to tell you our story. And they were at mile 24 and their hotel was right there and it was really hot and they were going to both quit. And they looked at each other at the same time and yelled, courage. <laughs> and they finished the race, you know, and they just had to come up and tell me, you know, that Aww. my word it paid off for them. Yeah, no, I can see how that's an inspiring word to use, and it's it's short as well, so you can kind of yeah. keep it in your mind. I might try that next next yeah. month. <laughs> um, so you talked about uh, you've inspired lots of people, and I I know my fiance even talked about um, watching you as he grew up, and he remembered seeing seeing you all over the place. But um, you must have met many inspiring people over the years. But if you had to pick one, who would it be? Or maybe two or three? I guess I'll give you. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll pick two. Okay. Um, 
One would, the first one would be Shell Eric Stahl. Okay. And Shell Eric's from Sweden, and he's the one who's, I broke two of his records. So he had the most sub 220s in one year. Um, and in fact, we were rooming together at Grandma's Marathon when he told me what the record was, uh, which he had run 10 marathons in one year. And so I ended up beating his record with 11. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or 12, God, I can't remember how he did. Um, and then, uh, and then he had the record for most sub 220s with 70. So he kind of put, Something I had something to shoot for, you know. I end up with seventy six, up two twenties, and so he kind of inspired me to go after. It's almost like you, like even now, if somebody beats my record, great. I, you know, once you said it, you did it. It's done, you know. So if you can inspire somebody else to do those kind of records, um, you know, Chuck Engel is an example too. I ran two hundred sub three hours, so it was his goal to pass me up, which he finally did. And hey, great, you know, go for it. You know, I I put that out there, and he had the opportunity to do it. Um, the other one is Don Cardong. Okay. Uh, yeah, and Don's, you know, the race director of the Bloomsday Run in Spokane. Yep. And obviously a very talented runner, you know, uh, finished fourth in the Olympics in the marathon. And, and uh, just a, a really great writer, too. Um, and, and he's got a good sense of humor to his writing. And he's a good speaker as well. So, in fact, I brought Don to Detroit my first year as racer to do commentary and stuff. And so if I had... Somebody that I've aspired to as, as being a race director, writer, and a runner, Don kind of is the epitome of you know all of that. Mm-hmm. That's, no, that's great. And we've actually interviewed him on the show before, so um, I'll have to go back and listen to that one again. And uh, yeah, he's, a, he's definitely an inspiration to many, so it's great to hear that he's yours as well. He's got a good sense of humor too, which, I'll, you know, he said, I can remember him saying something runners were once that uh, any diet that doesn't include hot fudge sundaes has something wrong with it. <laughs> Okay, I like the sound of that. That that works for me. <laughs> I definitely have my sweet tooth. <laughs> I, I like I eat chocolate every day, just a little bit, but I love having a little bit bit of chocolate every day. So. Well, that's good to know. So yeah, speaking of that, have you have you do you generally have a healthy diet, or are you kind of eat as you as you please? Have you changed it since you you know when you were ran your best of two thirteen? Were you eating healthy, or were you eating you know hot dogs and burgers? Um. <laughs> I was fairly healthy, but you know, again, I like my sweets. So mm-hmm. I back, you know, when I was running, you know, 100 miles a week, yeah, it was easy to eat just about anything and get away with it. Now I have to be a little more conscious of what I eat, just you know, so I'm not gaining weight. Mm-hmm. So and you know, and um, but yeah, I you know, I like to mix it up. You know, like last time we had Chinese food, and I'll have a good salmon dinner, or you know, and I, I, my moist vegetarian, but I'll have a good steak once in a while. But I. I have good breakfast every morning, you know, okay, and I, okay. that's, I think that's important. I, I know so many people want to just hurry up and get out the door, but, but I just have a good bowl of cereal with fruit and, you know, and, and I, I think my diet's pretty good. I, I, you know, I, I watch what I eat. Yeah, you know. Sounds good. And nice and balanced. Which, which yeah. Is yeah. Nice. I just want to be healthy all, all the way around and I'm, and I'm lucky too. I'm married to a hygienist. So she makes sure my teeth are in good shape. <laughs> that always helps. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I do think that's, I do think that's important to your overall health, too. Oh, yeah. You, know, you have a good, clean mouth, mm-hmm. you know? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. makes a difference. Yeah. Um, and how about uh, people who are considering starting running, but they think that they may be too old? Do you have any issue, uh, any uh, recommendations for people, you know, if they're not in, you know, their 20s or their early 30s and they think, oh, I'm, I'm too old to start, what, what advice would you give them? I'd give them two, two pieces. One, go, go watch a race. 
just go and watch a race and you see that there's all kinds of shapes and sizes. In fact, even better yet, not just watch a race, go volunteer to race, yeah. you know, be a course marshal or, you know, hand out medals or whatever. That's, that's what I really don't go watch a race, go volunteer to race, you know, and then you start to see, Oh, wow, they can do it. If they can do it, I should be able to do that. I think that's probably the most inspiring thing. Yeah. It's very inspiring, especially towards the end of a marathon, seeing people out there, <laughs> the struggles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you realize, oh, there's, you know, some 60 or I, in fact, I had a friend, he didn't, he didn't do his first marathon until he was 68. Wow. And, wow. uh, unfortunately he died, but he's, he ran his last marathon at 92. Wow. And that's amazing. So, yeah, pretty amazing. And his, he had a heart attack and his doctor said he started, need to start walking. He got bored walking and started running and then <laughs> kind of became a local celebrity. You know? Aww, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So that would be my recommendation. Just go volunteer and then you see that, you know, Anybody can do it if they really want to. I mean, my greenie cob, it was amazing to hear stor- stories where they couldn't run around the block, you know, two years prior, you know, and they just kind of, like one gal was great. She, she was talking about how she was kind of afraid to go out on the roads where she lived. So she'd go to the local track and she had a jacket. And so she'd to forget it. She'd forget how many laps she was on. So she started doing this thing where she put, if she was going to run 20 laps, she'd have 20 popcorn kernels in her <laughs> <laughs> and she'd keep throwing out a popcorn kernel and say, oh, it's my last one. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it would work. Yeah, effective. Why not? <laughs> huh. Good, well, good to know. Good. That's a good, actually, something good to do. I always, uh, when I used to do track workouts, we'd use like little rocks and stones. But that, I think that's a better idea because rocks can be a bit bigger. So right, popcorn right. kernels are nice and small. So what is it about uh, being a race director that you enjoy so much? Or designing uh, the courses as well. You can talk about that because uh, I'm sure the listeners would love to hear about that. Well, in Detroit, certainly, um, I've I've been I enjoy direct or, um, um, designing courses. I don't do that much of it now, but the, but Detroit's marathon, I completely changed the course um, to it's. It, they probably wouldn't have the kind of numbers they have today without the change that I made. My first year, um, well, probably. And we'd run through the tunnel and then finish in Detroit. So we'd everybody would have to be bussed over to Canada, <laughs> which that would be impossible today. Yeah. <laughs> Go through all the customs issues and stuff. They they couldn't do it. And Detroit has over twenty thousand people now. And so uh, for six months, I bugged the heck out of the Ambassador Bridge people and said, we need to do this. We need to start in Detroit and finish in Detroit. We need to go over your bridge and back to the tunnel. And uh, they realized I was I have a lot of you know tenacity and I wasn't going to go away. <laughs> and then I, then I finally said, all right, I'm pulling out the big gun. So I got the president of the Detroit Tigers and the publisher of the Free Press to sit down with them. And wow. Okay, we'll do it. And once they said yes, they were great. I mean, they really made sure that everything worked well. They got a lot of great publicity out of it. And now it's probably one of the, probably the number one comment that people talk when they talk about what they liked about the Detroit Free Press Marathon is that when you go over the bridge and it's early enough in the morning, the sun's coming up. So you're seeing the sunrise as you're going over the bridge and it's just a spectacular view. Um, the other thing is I like being creative. I have a real art side to me. And so I like to do a lot of fun things. And I'm fortunate that I work on two parade races now, and I work for the parade company in Detroit. And so I have access to giant paper mache big heads and giant inflatables. My wife always teases me that I like inflatables. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, just at the St. Patrick's Parade two weeks ago, I had a giant uh, top hat with a, 
shamrock on it and i had a big inflatable harp and so <laughs> i just do a lot of things that are not the norm kind of more unusual things and i just like having really nice bannering and nice signage all over my course and making sure i have good entertainment and, and i like nice designs on my shirts and nice design medals so i'm lucky i have two sons that graduated from art schools and my one that lives here graduated from college of career studies which is a really good art school and and and, and he's designed some really nice stuff for me so yeah, so well, it's nice that you think about those little things that are, uh, make it a nice touch and you really make it fun and, you know, you have a great attitude towards it. I'm sure that makes a huge difference when people are choosing which race they want to do. So I'm sure you're well, a huge part of that. And then part of it, too, is um, so I have a great staff of people, too. I have in fact, tomorrow night we're having a big party at my house with all my <laughs> captains. And uh, um, and so I've got really great people behind me. They're all upbeat and positive. They're all runners. And then we did something that uh, very few races do is um, a lot of races, big races have to have expos. And I, I get that. They want everybody to show up at the expo and get their number. But I don't have big expos. So instead, I'm in a win-win situation where I use all the running local running stores. And we have a week to two weeks of packet pickup. Okay. So they they can go to any location and pick up their bib number and their shirt. And we have a computer or laptop right there. We assign them a number right there at the store. Mm-hmm. And so we make it really convenient. So on race day, all they do have to park and go to the race. You know, they have to work, stand long line. And, and so I got all these stores promoting the races and I'm sending them customers. Yeah. You know, we have, one new, we have one new bound store that over 5,000 people come into their store. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Great idea. That's very unique. I'm surprised more yeah. more races haven't taken that and uh, copied it there. And especially because you're promoting your local running stores, mm-hmm. you know, you want to, and so they're gonna, you know, they're gonna that allows them to do programs too, whether you know, for a for marathons, do training programs or whatever, have speakers come in and talk to their group, but. But I just think you, you really need to support your running store. So that's been just really great for us. Yeah, well, any race directors are listening right now, you can take that and uh, use it in your races in the future. <laughs> um, so that's all the questions that I had for today. Um, unless there's anything you wanted to add, I just have one question which is not running related. Um, sure. Which is, if you could give one word to describe what you would like to become, accomplish, achieve this year, what would it be? Um, I would say authentic. Okay, good word. Yeah, I thought about that. Being being authentic, being genuine, that people look at me and feel like I'm a genuine person and I'm authentic in what I do. I think you've definitely shown that this year in this interview. So that's been that's been great. And uh, what's is there a a way for people to follow what you're up to, see how you're doing and how things are going? Do you have any way of? Well, Facebook is easy. I mean, you find me on Facebook. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty. I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> okay. All right. And I will put um, the links to all the races you are the director of and um, have designed the courses for, just in addition to a few uh, bio pieces about you at runnersconnect.net forward slash RC53. So, Doug, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed learning more about you. You're obviously a very uh, unique and fun and been a great interview really enjoyable and uh you bring a lot of life to the sport and it's very very inspiring well tina thanks for making it a good interview too (laughs) it's good when you've got somebody asking you good questions too well i'm glad you enjoyed it thank you so much thank you thank you so much for listening today i hope you enjoyed the interview as much as i did isn't doug a character the links we talked about today can be found at runnersconnect.net forward slash rc53 
And if you would like to check in with Doug to see what he is up to, you can find him through his Facebook page. If you enjoyed today's podcast, it would really mean a lot to me if you could leave a review on iTunes. On the show notes at runnersconnect.net forward slash RC53 or any of the other pages that I've done for that matter, there is a video demonstration of how you can do that. It would really help us rise up the rankings in iTunes to reach our goal of being the number one running podcast. It only takes a few minutes. And I thank you so much in advance. Have a great week of running.